thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's, uh, it's such an honor and a privilege to be here once again to uh, back home. I always say Cosmos City Church is, is home. It's home for me. It's home for us. Um, we don't treat this church as if we are visitors coming from somewhere else. You know, we, we're coming home. And, and often when uh, we in this pulpit, we then uh, feel like we have the, the authority to speak, to speak like friends. Amen. Is that okay? Uh, I agree, Lee, that uh, there are no perfect marriages. Uh, by the way, let me just start by saying uh, I am flying solo, unfortunately. Uh, it wasn't planned that way. Uh, I was meant to come with my wife and a few other people, but life happened. <laughs> unfortunately, I'm flying solo this, this afternoon. So I am married uh, to my young wife of almost 20 years now. Uh, we are turning 20 next month, so I can't wait to celebrate, uh, so I think we are still young, and in fact, the more married I am, the less I think I don't know, <laughs> I don't know anyone who feels like that, <laughs> uh, because I've discovered one thing is that, um, particularly learning from my wife, is that uh, women are dynamic, they are ever-changing. They are, I think, for some of you who know me, I've looked like this for as long as you've known me, right? <laughs> I've always, and, um, but we, 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 we with, with our relationship and with, with my wife, uh, when we met, I was told that women love chocolate. So I tried to buy her chocolate. She was like, yeah, thank you very much. She would eat the chocolate, and then and I would find the chocolate not eaten or half eaten or something like that. And I would be like, what kind of a woman is this? I was told women love chocolate. So I'll try all kinds of chocolates, Belgian chocolates, and she wouldn't eat them. And then years later, I think it was 10 years later, she started saying, you go into the shop, bring me some chocolate. I'm like, Aibo, I thought you hated chocolate. What just happened? <laughs> and now she loves chocolate. So, um, and I've discovered to, to learn to love my wife in a new way every, every year. Uh, she's told me, um, and sometimes, uh, often, like, I'm not the same woman you married, Jay. You know, <laughs> I'm different. Come on, somebody. Can I be honest here? Yeah? <laughs> I am different. I'm different. So it's, uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to, to be married. Um, but I also believe uh, because there are no perfect marriages, because there are no perfect people. That's, that's actually the main reason. Your marriage is not perfect because of you. Uh-oh. If only you were perfect, <laughs> then your marriage maybe had a chance of being perfect. But I do believe uh, there are good marriages. I believe that we can build good marriages. And I also believe those good marriages don't just happen. 
they are made, they are worked on, they are, they are built. And, and when we allow God to help us, we build marriages that are godly, that honor him. So I was asked to spend some time with us today and talk on the issue of money. Zaga, chele, te imali, finances, in the context of marriage. Um, let me first start by saying the whole point of marriage is unity. Do we agree? The whole point of marriage is, is unity. This is a very important uh, topic, uh, money, uh, the use of finances in, in, in the home and in the marriage. So the point of marriage is, is unity. And as married couples, we must contend for unity. We must fight for the unity of our marriages. Um, often I find that uh, when I do uh, coaching couples or, or marriage counseling, etc., I find that the issue, the enemy, is not the issue. The enemy is, uh, or rather the enemy is not the couple fighting one another, but the enemy is the issue that is coming between God's people. And I want us to start really there from the book of Matthew. I will read uh, some scriptures uh, to lay a little bit of a foundation because we cannot speak money, finances, uh, without going to the scriptures. The more I study finances, I discover how important it is not only for the church, but for us as people. And I will show you why in a moment. But let's first start here. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to read from verse, from verse 1. There's an issue here, right? There's an issue where um, people are, are coming to Jesus to speak to him about the, the question of divorce, and it says here, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Jesus is having one of his miracle crusades and healing many people and preaching the gospel. And in verse 3, it says some Pharisees came to him to test him. They came to test Jesus. And this is what they said. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? This was a test. They were not really looking for an answer. They were looking to catch Jesus, basically. They were looking to to have him say something that they might pin against him. And Jesus being him, he says to them, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator, God, made them male and female. So Jesus, first of all, is saying, everybody, the, the idea of marriage is not God, it's not man's idea, it's God's idea. Marriage starts with God. God is the one that designed this amazing institution called marriage where 
when he created men, he said, I'm making a male and I'm making a female. It was God's idea. It was never man's idea. God is the master designer of marriage. And by the way, if we want to build good, strong marriages, then we should, it makes sense for us to go to the designer. Right? Say, why did you make this thing? How did you make it? And how should it really work? So, God made them male and female and, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united. United. Unity. To his wife. United to his wife. And the two, the two coming together to become one. That's, that's God's idea. Unity. And he goes on to speak more about this unity. And he says, the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined, what God has joined, let no man separate. What God has put together, let no man separate. So that also means, can I, can I challenge us? That also means not even you can come in between what God has created, what God has joined. Hello? When God has put us together, we must fight for the unity that God has made available for us. Not even us. So, the point of marriage then is unity. So, if we're going to start talking about finances and money, there must be a level of unity in the marriage. Hello? There must be unity on the issue of money. On and any other issue that pertains to us as a couple walking together and living life together. In Amos 3, verse 3, the scripture says, Do two walk together unless they agree to do so? so it's a question the prophet is asking. How Can two walk together unless they agree? So when I say to Mushapo um, here and I said, can we go? And he, if he comes with me, I met my wife, as I said, 20 years ago or so. <laughs> and uh, I was a stranger. She was a stranger to me. I met her on a Friday, on Sunday. I looked at her and I said, you are my wife. She said, oh, about you. <laughs> and I said, well, we'll talk tomorrow. And tomorrow she came. She said, yes, I will be your wife. There was no proposal, no nothing. That was the proposal. <laughs> Very unromantic, right? <laughs> so, but we agreed on that day, we agreed, right? That we will be together. Can two walk together unless they agree? And in order for us to be successful in any issue, including this issue, this area of money and finances, we must, we should, we have to. It is critical that we agree. In marriage, friends, there is no you and I. We said we, I'm reading according to the scriptures, the two, we are no longer two but one. Hallelujah. 
what God has joined together. Let no man let the Bible be the authority here this this, this afternoon. Amen. So that we are no longer to there's no you and I. You sometimes meet with couples and they are fighting and they are, their issue is he did this with my things. She did this with my things. She made her own decisions. He made his own decisions. There is no unity. A lot of the times... There is division instead of one vision. So may I make this submission to us then? There's not one way of doing finances. So I'm not here to, to tell you how <laughs> you as a couple must handle your finances. Let's get that clear. Amen? Amen. So I'm not here to tell you how you must handle your finances and who must do what and how you must do what. But I'm here to say, whatever you choose to do as a couple, you better agree about it. Can I say that again? Every couple handles finances differently. What works for the Gwenyas does not work for the Malulekas necessarily. What works for another family might not necessarily work for you. Are you with me? But the point is, are you in agreement? Are you together in the way in which you as a family are handling your finances? Most couples do not speak do not agree, do not have a vision. So I ask you this, this afternoon humbly, do you as a family, as a couple, have you ever sat down, and if you haven't, please do, to speak about your finances? Not how, how much is not there. <laughs> In fact, most couples don't really have Problems. They just broke. <laughs> so once they, they sorted out the way they do finances together, it can liberate a lot of things in their, in their family. So if we are not united, it creates many challenges in our marriages. And, and let me show you some, some few things here. There's... Um, I did a little bit of uh, very light research to find out about what are the reasons, the major reasons why couples divorce. So I looked at some research in, in America, and I also looked at some research here at home. What I found very interesting was, uh, it doesn't really matter whether it's, it's America or South Africa or Europe, it's often exactly the same issues that cause couples to divorce. A few years ago, I, a friend of mine was going through a divorce and he asked me to go with him uh, to court because he was, he was just, uh, you know, 
He needed a friend. I said, I'll go with you. And it was my first time in, in a court like that, in the high court uh, in Pretoria. I sat around and I listened. Uh, sat about two hours in the divorce court. And listened to case after case after case after case as, as uh, people brought their you know, case before the judge, the high court judge. And I listened very intently and I didn't know how things work. So I thought, let me, let me just understand how things work here. And what I found out sitting in that divorce court that day was that most couples <laughs> that divorce don't really divorce for major reasons. That was my conclusion. By sitting there, because I listened, some, some were complaining about, he's not giving me money, etc., etc. Um, there is this thing or the other. And the judge would ask, this doesn't sound like a reason for you to be divorcing. The judge would say. And they would say, no, it, it's been a thing after another, after another. We've tried to get help. And the judge would even ask. Did you go and ask for help? Did you go for counseling? He said, yeah, we tried our families. We tried all kinds of intervention. Nothing worked. And so what happened then? He says, no, the legal term, we are divorcing because of irreconcilable differences. Hey, it's, a, it's, it's a very tough technical legal word, right? irreconcilable differences and the judge would then say I issue a decree of divorce I was like, and I would be I, I was sitting there in the audience and thinking honestly the judge is right these people shouldn't be divorcing honestly they shouldn't be they should be getting help that issue and that issue and that issue and I realized often as couples we leave things to happen and to happen, and to happen, and to happen until you're like, I've had enough. I've had enough of you. So here's my submission, please, this afternoon. Please talk. Please address issues. Amen? Please uh, uh, talk about the issues that you are dealing with as a couple. So there's a study then, an article that was written um, in South Africa here from one of the research papers I was looking at. Ten, I'm going to go through, through them very quickly, right? Ten reasons why most couples divorce. Most common reasons in South Africa. And like I said, very common around the world. It, it actually often doesn't really matter where it is. Number one, or I'm going to go from ten to one, right? First reason, difference in priorities. Different in priorities. Couples have different priorities. One, um, we get married. I want to, here are my priorities. My priorities are my children. My priorities is my family. My priorities is I must take my child, my sister and my, you know what I'm talking about, and my siblings to school. And couples don't talk about their priorities properly. And what tends to happen is people divorce because of unmet expectations. So you had expectations coming into this marriage that he will do this. You know, he'll bring me flowers every, every Friday after work. And he does not. He does not. 
So priorities are different. Number two, number nine, rather, religious differences. So people have spiritually, so when you talk of religious differences, you're talking about spirituality, cultural, cultural belief systems, and of course, spiritual beliefs. Are you a Christian? <laughs> what type of a Christian are you? That's why the Bible says, do not be yoked, equally yoked with unbelievers, right? So in, in God's word, there's a lot of protection for us and for religious differences. So go high. Right? And then you get married to, to me. <laughs> right? And I no longer have a home, <laughs> a place I call home. You understand, if you know what I mean. I want a high kokiang. High kimokin dulang. That's my high. And now we have this thing. It's like, no. So these differences end up being a challenge for us as couples if we don't resolve, if we don't talk about it. Number eight, parental responsibilities, a.k.a. in-laws, right? The in-laws, whether it's, <laughs> can be a challenge. In our marriages. And these are some of the reasons that if we don't tackle them, if we don't, we're not honest and communicating and chatting about it can lead to unpleasant realities in our marriage. Number seven, here we go, finances. Money. And, and there we're talking about, once again, couples disagreeing not being on the same page when it comes to the issues of money, challenges of money in the marriage. Like I said earlier, often the issue is not because couples are fighting. The issue is because if you can just give them money. Yes or no? Number six, we'll come back to finances. Obviously, that's why we are here. Sexual incompatibility. Huh? This is a contentious one, right? Sexual incompatibility. That, that basically means where one spouse is not satisfied by the other in their marriage. And the spouse is not paying attention <laughs> to the needs of their spouse, and it causes issues, and later on, uh, one spouse becomes unhappy, and grossly unhappy, and that's one of the reasons why people end up in the divorce court. And number five, addictions. Addictions, and can I say, it's not just in the world, it's in the church as well. Addictions of all kinds. Uh, when, 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 when there are addictions that are not being taken care of, so um, whether it's substance, whether it's whatever kind of, of addictions, 
sexual addictions, issues like pornography and the likes do not mix well with marriage, right? Yes? <laughs> or am I too deep here? <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I am helping us understand a few things. Uh, some of these things we understand. But I pray that the reason I'm going through this list is we do an audit of our lives. We do an audit of our own marriages. And honestly put ourselves in front of a mirror and say, is this an issue in my own marriage? Is this a challenge in my own marriage? Um, there's danger here. In goes. I need, to, I need to deal with it. I need to find help. I need to get, get it sorted out. So addiction. So I said addictions don't mix well with family and marriage. Number five, number four, social networks. This one is very prevalent now. I actually read uh, on social media the other day that uh, when a, ma a married man goes and comments on a woman's pose they're not married to, they must write this. My wife and I like this photo. <laughs> it must be clear. There must not be blurred lines, okay? <laughs> because uh, your wife will be saying, why did you like that photo? Hmm? So you must be clear. Why did you comment and say, you look nice? And you're not even saying anything to me. For 10 years, you never told me I'm nice, you see. So <laughs> social, social networks, they are blurred lines, right, between what is private and what is personal. And people sometimes tend to overshare. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it is what it is. But this is the number four of top ten reasons why couples end up in trouble with their marriages because then it opens up you know, chat rooms private DMs etc etc and people are going there, flirting and so forth danger in goals <laughs> number three the obvious one marriage infidelity right, adultery Going somewhere else for pleasure rather than drinking from your own stream. And number two, physical, psychological, look at this, financial and emotional abuse. So finances appears again at number two. In this case, in a form of abuse, there are partners, spouses that are feeling financially frustrated by their spouse. They're feeling abused by their own spouse. Might be a, a husband that feels my wife does not understand. <laughs> She's always demanding things that I cannot provide. The, the wife 
On the other hand, he's feeling, my wife, my husband cannot provide. And people tend to use and abuse each other when it comes to the issue of, of finance. But things like physical abuse, you know, physical abuse, it's a big issue here in this country, in Mzansi. Where there are many women that are <laughs> and many husbands, by the way, that are suffering silently. Domestic violence is, a, is an issue. Number two reason. And lastly, lack of communication. Lack of communication. You'll see communication is, is, is number one. And I think it's primarily because if you do not communicate, if you do not talk as couples, if you do not address issues, if you don't know each other and what you want and where you're going and how you feel and being, and being, being able to be vulnerable, being able to speak your mind, and I've seen this. He asked me to be <laughs> vulnerable. It's a bit dangerous. But, but here's the thing. When I do couples uh, uh, counseling and coaching, I often say one of my, one of my, my, my sessions is, 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 I call it open the closet. Open there, open the closet. And I say, this is now where you are going to make a decision, especially in premarital counseling, whether you still want to marry this person or not. Because now, you, the scripture says, Adam and Eve, they were naked and not ashamed. They, they were naked, they're like, I am, this is me. What you see is what you get. There was... It was like, this is me, everything that I am, you, that's what you're going to get. And I want to still marry you, knowing who you are and knowing what I'm getting. But what I, what I tend to realize is, once couples are then married, they stop being intimate. We start putting things back into their the closet. We start having other things that we're not able to speak to. I start seeing things about my wife, about myself, and I'm, I'm not feeling confident or free enough to express how I feel. And I keep, I keep filling the closet with stuff. I'm no longer intimate. And the wife then complains, you no longer talk to me. You cannot look me in the eye and express how you feel. Am I the only sinner here in this house, Bazalwan? <laughs> so we, we, we must learn to be intimate. One of the things my wife and I try to do, and I say try to do because we don't always get it right is that every three months we try and take time out and go and do the intimacy. So what we try and do is to say, 
Am I still the husband you want? <laughs> Am I still the husband you... And guess it's dangerous, guys. You might hear things you don't want to hear. Am I still loving you the way I should? It's tough, eh? Because you are saying, shoot your shoot. <laughs> say whatever you want to say. It's a safe space. We leave the children. It's just the two of us. Let's talk about our marriage. So, lack of communication is one of the, the issues. What does this all have to do with money, Vasalwan? We, we thought we were coming to talk about money. Yeah. Can I make this submission? I made on my notes. I gave us 10 things, right? I made notes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these things have financial implications on them. Seven of these things have financial implications on them. Difference in priorities, parental responsibilities, finances itself, addictions, marriage infidelity, physical and financial abuse, and lack of communication. All of these things have financial implications. Can we see why it's important that we get this thing right? Many of us maybe come from work as we speak this morning. Many of us spend 40 hours a week and more in our jobs because money is important, right? It is that important. We have homes to build. We have children to raise, to take to school. We have food to eat. We have to put clothes on our backs. and we, we, it's, it's a big deal. This issue of money. And we must then shy away from dealing with this matter of finance as, as families. We cannot just think that things will just happen. Go to work, earn your money, do whatever you can. We must be intentional as couples to say, I'm going to work, I'm earning a thousand rands. What's going to happen with this thousand rands? What are we going to do with it? As a couple, you, I'm bringing a thousand, you bringing a thousand, we put it together. Before God, we, we ask him to help us as a couple to use this for his glory and to build a legacy and to build a, a, a family that will glorify God with this finance. We cannot just exist. Many people, many people, here's the challenge, friends. And I'm running ahead of myself. Let me say this. Less than 1%. It's actually a very scary statistic. Less than 1%. It's actually around 0.5% of South Africans have any kind of savings. So in other words, if we're sitting here <laughs> and there's 100 of us, according to the statistics, only one of us is saving. That's the truth. Seventy-six percent of families run out. Seventy-six percent. I mean, that's like seventy-six percent. Again, if we are hundred, seventy-five of us don't have enough money 
from the day we earn it to the next time we get paid. We don't have enough money to get there. These are scary things, right? No wonder so many of us are under pressure. No wonder homes are under pressure. No wonder families are under pressure. No wonder the stress levels in our generation is higher than it's ever been. So what's the solution? I mean, it sounded like, yo, Pastor Jay, you've given us all the bad news today. All the bad news. So is there hope for all of us? Is there hope? I believe there is. Amen? I believe there is. I believe there is. Can I go? I'm going to go for another. Uh, for, let me not promise time here. Are we still okay? Do you understand? You're welcome to stand. You, I'm not going to be bothered if you feel like I, I'm getting tired. Because I've got the mic. I'm moving around. I can talk all day. This is a, a, a subject I'm very passionate about. I've studied the subject of finances for, since more than 30 years ago. And I've been on it. And so we can talk all day on this issue. So I, wanna, I want us to talk about what I call the enemy of progress. The enemy of of progress. Do we agree, friends, this afternoon that God wants us to build wealth? Do we believe, as believers, that God wants us to prosper? Do we believe that God wants us to be a blessing? To be givers? To be extravagant, generous givers? Do we believe according to the scriptures that we must live an inheritance, not for our children, but for our children's children? When I, when I, when I, when I understood that scripture, I often said, I've got two boys. And it is an expectation. Mom, dad, it is an expectation. That that's a that's a given. You are gonna take care of those two. The Bible does not even talk about <laughs> that verse is is next generation. Are you there? It says a, a good man lives an inheritance for their children's children. So So which means your your immediate children, we've already taken care of that one. That one is sorted. Hallelujah. We we are not going to go to our children and say, who is it? (laughs) We're not going to do that here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, Bazalwan. This generation, we are not going to be those parents. Hello. <laughs> we are not going to be those parents that are, are going to put a burden on our children <laughs> to take care of what we couldn't take care of. Uh oh. So, 
The enemy of progress, can I read a scripture? Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rule over the world. The poor, rather. And the borrower is subject or is a slave to the lender. So what's, the, what's this enemy I'm talking about? It's an enemy called debt. Debt. Ideally, as believers, we want to live lives without any debt. And, and hear me out. I'm saying ideally. You want to live a life without any debt. As I step into this part of this presentation, I want to make a disclaimer. I am not, please note, I am not a financial advisor. <laughs> if you need financial advice, consult <laughs> a registered financial advisor, etc., etc., etc. What I'm about to share is simply based on scripture, based on my learnings over the years on the dangers and the learnings on the issue of death. And some of this I've walked myself. I've seen its effect and its impact in my own progress. It's like it set me back years, not even months, years. <laughs> so ideally, we want to live lives that are without death, ideally. But we also know that sometimes... It's not always possible not to use debt for financial progression, right? So we need to, for example, if you want to buy a home, a, a house, it's a big purchase. That's not something that any ordinary human like you and me can just go and buy with cash, right? And so buying vehicles and cars and things like that. So... The point I'm making here is we need to watch out for what we call bad debt. Bad, bad debt. Because this, this is an issue why most finances are tied up in the family. We're not able as a couple, we're not able as a family to progress, to do what we want to do because money is tied up. When money comes in, it's paying everything else and we're not even able to pay ourselves. We're not even to enjoy the fruits of our own labor. We're not even able to enjoy one another. We can't even take, you can't even take your wife for a date. You can't even take a holiday. You can't even, you know, as you're working at the shops, you see a nice thing to buy for your wife because money is tied up in debt. So the reason I wanted to talk about this is because we, we must deal with this enemy of progress. For many couples, 
it is a huge issue. There are couples that have, they're not in this church. They're not here sitting here today. But they have secret debt even. They, they're hiding Golot or somewhere. <laughs> they're not able to contribute righteously into their marriage <laughs> because there are other people that are demanding their money and money is going out and the husband doesn't know and the wife does not know. Enemy of? Enemy of? Progress. So we must deal ruthlessly with this thing. We must address it. We, we, we cannot allow that to set us back. We must be responsible when it comes to this area. This is, this is when debt is dangerous. This is when debt is dangerous. Number one, when the possession and its resale value is lower than the debt itself. Right? So in other words, I buy this mic on debt. It disappears. It loses its value. That's dangerous debt. Because suddenly I still owe the mic, but I'm not able to. If I were to sell the mic, I won't get what I borrowed. Are we together? Buying food, for example, on debt. Right? You've got a Willis card and pick and pay card and whatever other card you have. You buy on debt, food is gone, but you're still on debt. Food is eaten, but you're still on debt. Next month, what are we doing? What are we doing next month? We are deeper, we go and do more debt. We're going deeper and deeper and deeper. We, are, we have created a monster for ourselves. Debt is now dangerous. It's eating away resources from us. Number two, debt is dangerous when it is unsecured and uninsured, right? So you go and make a, a loan, a big loan, 25%, 27%, 28% unsecured loan. It's uninsured. Circumstances of your life changes. You're no longer earning the same money. You cannot service the debt. That debt becomes a snare in your own family. Becomes a problem because now you cannot pay the debt. Right? Number three, debt is dangerous when your earnings are lesser than your debt commitments. So, in other words, you, you continue to make debts and now monthly you have debts that are 10,000 that, that are worth 10,000, but you are earning 7,000. That's when debt is dangerous. Because now you cannot survive. This is where many South Africans are, actually. Where we have more month left at the end of the, the money. 
We, we pay everything. We have more months left at the end of the money. <laughs> so the money, you, you get paid your 7000 on the 31st of August. On the 5th, everyone else has taken their money and you are waiting to think, where, what are we going to do now? Giddy five, there's still another 25 days before I get the next salary. So this is when debt is dangerous, when we have more responsibilities than we actually can carry. That's called living above our means. We, are, we, are, we cannot say, we cannot afford our life. We cannot afford our lifestyle. It happens in December, he says. <laughs> we know very well that January is coming. We know very well. And then when we go there, we, we can't just, I mean, you can't just appear and say, hello, hello, hello. No, no, no. You must go carrying something. And you know very well, the whole year, the last 11 months, you were making, you couldn't even afford yourself. But you are going to do what? You're going to say, Chomiaka, Nkadi make a high. And you're going to create more debt. You're going to look like, ah, Babuye, Ababuye, Goli, Sebako, Namaji. And we arrive. We fill up the table and count the empties. We come back on the 5th of, December, of January. And now we have school fees and we have all these other responsibilities. That's when debt is dangerous. So, debt is dangerous, number four, when it violates our values and convictions. When it violates our values. So, your values, one of the, one of the reasons for stress, by the way, one of the issues of what causes stress in a lot of families is we know what is right. We know what we should be doing. These are my values. These are my values. This is where I should be living. This is how I should be living. But <laughs> my reality does not align with my values. Then there's stress. My value is I'm, I want to provide for my family, right? That's my value. That's my value. My value is as a wife, I want to I want to be able to cook healthy meals every day for my family, right? That's, maybe that's your value. I'm not saying it's a must-do. Eh? <laughs> Somebody says, yeah, you see now. Or maybe as a husband, you want to cook. <laughs> the, you want to provide the healthy meals for your family. That is your value. Your value is health. Your value is, is I want to be able to take my children to the best schools I can be able to afford. That is my value system. My value is I'm a giver. I'm a child of God. I should be able to give. That's my value system. But I have too much debt. <laughs> I can't. So I get stressed because now, what am I going to cook? <laughs> Are you with me? And then there's stress in the family and, and wives and husbands are stressed. They, a husband goes home and he's stressed. It affects their marriage. It affects their intimacy. It affects everything because the value system is here, but 
the reality is on the other side. So, that is dangerous, number five, when it prevents us, I've just said it now, when it prevents us from, being, from giving and being, and being generous. As believers, and I'm talking from a, a biblical perspective, as a believer, God's, God's way, by the way, of bringing money to us <laughs> is through giving. Do we agree? As a believer, you know, in the world, they say get all you can, right? Can all you can and sit on the can. That's what happens in the world. In the, in the kingdom, it's like give as much as you can. Be generous. Be a cheerful giver. Give. It shall be given back to you. Press down. Shaking together. Men will give into your bosom. Running over. The scripture says in Malachi chapter 10, God says, test me in this thing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And see if I will not throw open. I mean, it's a violent scripture, that one. God is not just going to open. He's just going to, he's going to like throw open the windows of hell. Sorry, I'm dramatic. He's going to throw open the windows of heaven. And he's not going to sprinkle. He's going to pour out so much blessing on us that there will not be room enough for it. That's the scripture. That's what the Bible says. That's our convictions as believers, I hope. Hello, somebody. That's our conviction. But when there's so much debt, you're like, I can't give. <laughs> I can't tithe. I can't be generous. I don't have enough. I don't even have food. How do you expect me to tithe? Right? So, that, that, that is dangerous to us now. We are no longer able to benefit. Watch this. We're no longer able to benefit as believers. We're no longer able to implement biblical principles. We're no longer able to implement what God says we should do so that we are blessed. We, are, we increase. We multiply. We have more than enough. That's the Bible way. But that ties up resources and we can't afford, like we can't afford. I have, I had, I, I've had people come and say, um, Ruth, from now on, we're not going to be able to tithe. It's like, can't, I can't do anything about that. It's your decision, right? As, as a family, that's what you have decided to do. I cannot, the Bible says we must make a decision, right? We don't, in the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm, I know in this church, no one twists you to give, amen? No one forces you to give, no one forces you to tithe. No one says, where's your tithe? We haven't seen your tithe. <laughs> or, or, or am I telling the, you, 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 uh, since I left, you're not doing those things. <laughs> I know when I was an elder here, we saying, we teach the word, we teach the scriptures, we, we preach it as passionately as I've just done it five minutes ago. And we say, you make your choice. You make your decision. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says give. The Bible says tithe. The Bible says be generous. The Bible says give, the give to the poor. Give to the needy. The Bible says give into missions. Give into... Um, 
uh, people that are going out and, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and taking it to the ends of the earth. That's what we believe. But if we are in debt and resources are tied up, friends, we're not going to be able to do that. And unfortunately, all types of giving. By the way, we don't give to get. Again, we don't give to get. But watch this now. When you give, God blesses you. It's God's way. It's just God's way. All kinds of giving. Even giving to the poor. God says, he who gives to the poor lends to, to God. That money you are giving, to, that, that grocery packet that you give to that family that, that, that has their husband lost their job during COVID and they're no longer able to make ends meet and you are helping them survive. Listen to this. You are doing a godly thing and God will remember you. In your time of need, God will remember. These things are God's ways, right? And as couples, friends, we must agree that this issue is important to us as a family. My wife says, when she was writing down her list, apparently she had a list which was found a few years ago by her mother in the house. <laughs> she wanted a husband who gives. As a teenager, she wrote that. I was like, yo. <laughs> That's a standard to live up to, isn't it? <laughs> if I stop giving, I'm not going to be the husband my wife prayed for. Guys, yo, it's tough. I have to keep giving. I must be generous. I must be a giver. Sometimes I look at my wife, I'm like, that's too much, baby. Oh, you, you, that's too much. She's too generous. Sometimes I was like, I think that's a lot, babe. <laughs> I think that's too much money. <laughs> because giving is powerful. We cannot, and I'll be doing us as couples a disservice if I don't address this matter. If we are not able to give as couples, we are denying ourselves of many things in this area of finances. Jesus speaks a lot about money. To a point where he equals the love of money against the love of God. He says we can't serve two masters. You Either we're going to love one and hate the other. And so when death has come in to take away and push us away and we're not able, we can't afford, we feel like we can't afford to give, we are in a very dangerous space spiritually. And with God. And this is not manipulative. It's scripture. It's the Bible. Because <laughs> this is God's way. This is God's way of bringing money to us. Hello, church. Amen. Can we take some more? Or do you want a break? I'm finishing. Last one. And I'm done. 
death is dangerous when it is the main reason. When it is the main reason, we are not able to save and invest money. So as couples, as families, are we saving money? We already know what the stats say in South Africa. I'm not going to ask us to lift up our hands here. The stats say only less than 1% of us in Mzansi are actually having savings and investments. So, when that is the reason for that, we are in a very difficult spot. And most South Africans, there's an ad by one of the banks. I will not name them. <laughs> there's an ad by one of the banks. They're not getting a free mention. There's an ad from one of the banks where, I don't know, you might have seen this, restaurant, and in that restaurant, there are, the waiters are all old people, like very old people. Like some of them are spilling the, the things, they're getting the orders wrong, they are dropping the, the plates. It's like chaos. Saying, sorry, 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 sorry. The point of the ad is most South Africans cannot afford to retire. They have to keep working in their old age. We know this, right? We, we have parents that stopped working and then went back to work. Hello. We've seen this before. Again, I'm saying this not as a heavy on you. But here's, here's a reality check. As a family, have you saved up for when you are no longer able to work? So, we'll talk, we'll unpack savings and investments later as couples. <laughs> but we're going to pause here for now. That, when it is that dangerous, where we're not able to save, we're not, we don't have enough to even buy food. How can we even save? How can we even invest? So, hopefully, when we come back, we are going to talk about the good news. How can we as couples then change the game? How can we change this game? Because obviously the statistics are against us. We agree, right? The stats are against us. For many of us, the reality is really against us. Our marriages are impacted in more ways than one. How can we future-proof our own marriages? How can we future-proof our own families? How can we ensure that our children have a better reality when it comes to this issue of money and our children's children are catered for. In this session, um, I'd like to explore together, for us to explore together, how do we build wealth?
as couples, as families, how do we build wealth? Amen. So the Bible says in the book of uh, Deuteronomy that God is the one that gives us the ability to create wealth. Right? We, we did agree, <laughs> I think already, in the first session that God wants us to prosper. God wants us to, to create wealth. That God wants us to be blessed so we can be a blessing. So we can contribute to uh, not only... Uh, I, I often put it this way that I, I often think of a, um, a hose pipe, right? A hose pipe uh, is a channel <laughs> through which water moves from the tap to water the plants, right? So as believers, often I, I picture myself as a channel that God works through to be a blessing. So um, resources come through me so that I can be a blessing to other people. And a horse pipe that is not doing its purpose, that is sitting out in the sun, we all know what happens to it. It starts getting hard and it starts breaking and it starts losing its value. So we must see ourselves as that channel. So if God says we, we sh he gives us the ability to create wealth, there must be principles then in Scripture that we can learn and um, hopefully apply in our own lives, for our own families, and as we said, for generations that are coming um, behind us. So I want us to go together, please, to the book of Genesis 26. I want to uh, read. It's quite a lengthy portion of Scripture. So I will read it uh, as quickly as I can. Context is, there's a man here he's, that we're about to read about. His name is Isaac. Isaac's father was Abram. Who, God, who had an encounter with God, and God called him Abraham. But when he had an encounter with God, God said, Abraham, Abraham, leave your father's household and go to a place I will show you. I will bless you. You will be blessed. You, I'll make your name great. Uh, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Channel, right? Channel. Now, years later, long story short, I, Abraham, now has a son called Isaac. Isaac inherits the blessing that was put upon his father, Abraham. He then carries the same blessing, and he has his own revelation of God. God comes to him personally, and I often say, we cannot live with the revelation of other people. We must have our own revelation. When it comes to this issue of finances, friends, we must have our own revelation. It's not enough to, to hear and it's like, yo, and go home and it's like, yo, yeah, and do nothing. No revelation, no action, no change. We come back here next year, same time, same place. We are worse off than where we were. Then we heard, but we didn't have the revelation. So I pray, friends, that God will impart some revelation in us that we take these things that 
that we are learning a step further. And as I'm reading this, I myself, I'm thinking, Lord, I repent. <laughs> I need to go back and, and revisit some of these conversations, some of these learnings that I've learned where I've started to, um, to lose track of where my heart was. So in, in, in Genesis then 26, we, we see this man. Uh, he's now a family man. His name is Isaac. It says there was famine in the land. So, Kiluba, there's famine, there's lack, there's drought, right? There's drought in the land. And I feel like, um, to a certain extent, this, this might be a little bit prophetic for some of us and for many of us. We are actually in that place of famine, right? We are in that place where it is dry. We are in that place where we hear you, sir, talking. We are in famine. It's like no hope. There's no, there's like, we want to do the things that we are saying. We get it, but there's famine, right? And famine really, Isaac found himself in a place of famine and like you and I, already wanted to run away from the place of famine. This is what happens. It says, there was famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, his father. And Isaac went to Abimelech, who was king, king of the Philistines in Gerah. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Very interesting because here, again, Isaac has to learn to walk with God himself. His father, God told him where to go. God was directing him. Isaac, for you to prosper, for you to live in the same blessing and sustain what I've placed in you through your father Abraham, you must learn to walk with me yourself. Amen? And I hope we hear this. I hope we, we don't hear this. I hope we hear this. We must learn to walk with God for ourselves when it comes to this area. It mustn't just be a message that we hear, but it must be a revelation and a walk with God that we have for ourselves. So God says to him, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Which land? The land of famine. Say what? <laughs> this is... <laughs> God, can you see this as a land of famine? This makes no sense. How am I going to live in a land of famine? How am I going to survive? When it comes to the issue of finances, we cannot do it here. We have to do it here. Can I say that again, please? We cannot do it here. It will never make sense. It, trust me. <laughs> it often doesn't make sense to do what God tells us to do. It takes faith. Amen. It takes faith to, to believe God. It, our walk with God takes faith. It is, it is a faith walk. And so if we are going, as families, as couples, friends, if we are going to move from where we are to the level we intend, we envision, we trust God to get to, we must believe. We must trust God. We must do it by faith. Amen. And so God says, don't just stay there. Eh, the land of famine, yes, stay there. God says to him, what? Verse 3, stay in this land for a while. I will be with you. God says, I'll be with you and I will bless you. Hmm. That's that word, bless. 
I will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give you all these lands, and I will confirm the oath I saw to your father, Abraham. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? Picture this with me. The things that you dreamt about. The things that you believed God for. Your children walk in them. Your children walk in them. We have generations, I don't know where, where um, their father had assets, built wealth. Their kids came. Their father died. They messed it all up. And nothing is left. And it's like a it's heartbreaking. Can we pray? Can we pray for our children and pray, God, the things that I'm believing you for, for them and for their children and children after them. May my children, like Abraham, the blessing mustn't end with Abraham. It must touch Isaac. It must touch Jacob, who then became 12 tribes. The tribe, the nation, not only sons, but the nation of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Iskar, Zebulon, Benjamin, and Joseph. Twelve tribes from that promise of an old man who did not, who could not have a child with his wife. God promised him, you will be great. And then they become a great nation of Israel. A superpower. <laughs> so, the promises that God puts in your life. There are some of us, God has spoken prophetic words. You've come and God has said things about you, about your family, about you as a couple. Don't throw that away. It's not just for you for today and next year. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. It's for generations to come. May we pray. Paul says to uh, Timothy, fight a good fight of faith. With the prophecies, paraphrase, that have been spoken over your life. So, I'm saying to us, when God speaks to us, this thing is generational. We must trust God to believe for our own deliverance, right? Our own deliverance, so we can make sure that generations after us are walking in liberty and walking into their inheritance. We must fight that for them, on, on their behalf. We mustn't fail them. But God will help us. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. So I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands and through your offspring. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Friends, may your children be blessed. May their children be blessed. Don't be scared when they are sleeping. There are times when my son is now 17 years old. As a teenager, I still walk into his room. I still lay hands on him in his sleep. And I bless him. And I speak the blessing of the Lord. And say, you will prosper. You will grow. You will become what God has spoken over your life. What, why God has created you. It will come to pass. We must fight on behalf of our children. And so... For generations to come, God says, I will. Because Abraham obeyed me 
and kept my requirements and my commands and decreased my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerah. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, okay, <laughs> takes us on a bit of a tangent. I want us to jump straight into verse 12, right? Verse 12. Verse 12. So Isaac, verse 6 says, Isaac stayed, right? He didn't go because God told him to stay. So he stays in Gerah. Verse 12 says, so what did Isaac do? Remember context, land of famine, right? Same situation, same place, land of famine. Things are not going well. <laughs> around the nations, it's not only impacting him, it's impacting the whole nation, including the king and all his subjects. They are feeling the pinch of this. But Isaac did something unusual. He plants crops in that land. Which land? That land of famine. He plants crops. So he does, he trusts God. God said, I'm going to increase you. God says, I will bless you. Isaac understands the principle. I cannot, I, God says he's going to increase me. I better do something. Yes? So there, there are many of us friends that are like, God's going to bless me. I'm waiting. We come here every Sunday. Those who need the pr prayer, we come. I hope you still come next on Sunday tomorrow. <laughs> Don't be scared to come. <laughs> but we come, we get prayed for. We get touched. We feel the spirit of, of God on us. We even sometimes fall and we stand up, we go home and we sit and do nothing still. With the supernatural enablement and empowerment of God, and we're still not doing. Isaac says, I'm not going to just sit and wait for the blessing. I'm going to work with my hands. I'm going to create room. I'm going to make room for the blessing of God to operate in my life. Hello. We, we must create space. It's like some of us, someone said to me, I said, I'm not praying. Do you have a driver's license? He says, I don't have. I said, please go and get a driver's license. When you have that drive, true story. When you have a driver's license, come, we will pray and God will give you a car. Man, God did give her a car. So you cannot expect God to bless and you don't act. We must be practical. When we, when we talk the issue of finances, it's not enough just to keep praying every Sunday, friends. There are things we must do. Isaac planted crops. In that year, the same year, he ripped a hundredfold. Because why? The Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. Yo. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines, people around him, remember, same place where King Abimelech was, the same people around him, they started saying, what's wrong? Whoa, 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 whoa. This guy's becoming too rich. What happened? What did he do, friends? He acted against what seemed normal. 
He trusted God. He believed God said, I'll bless him. He said, I'll create room. I'll plant crops. It doesn't make sense, but I will plant crops. And he reaped a hundredfold. And the Bible says he became very wealthy that the people around him were jealous down. So the, so the wells of his father's servants, that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up filling them with earth. Verse 16, then Abimelech said, this is the king, Isaac, move away from us. <laughs> you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerah and stayed there. Isaac opened up the wells that had been dug up in the time of his father Abraham. Generational. Can you see that? Generational. His father dug up wells years ago. He's going back. He's going to benefit from the same wells that his father had dug up to get water and to feed his, 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 his uh, clan, his people, and his animals. Verse 20. Verse 19. Isaac servants dug up the valley and discovered and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the headsman in Hera quarreled with Isaac. The headsman said, the water is ours. So he returned. So he named the well Ezek. He named the well Ezek. Because they disputed with him. And they dug up another well, but they quarreled over that one. And so he also called it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug up another well. And no one quarreled him with him over there. There are the significance. I, I encourage you to go and, and look up the, the names. We don't have time to go into that now. I'm watching my time. But all these wells mean something. So all the time he has opposition. I want to say that when we, when we take a step towards making a change in our lives, we're not promising that it will be smooth sailing from here. We are saying it, it, it might be challenging. We're saying that it, it, we might have some opposition, like in Ezek. It might, there might be some strife. There, there might be some... <laughs> can I say sometimes it might get darker and worse? I know, we, we don't want to hear that. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want it to get worse. We want it to be better. We want to say, bless, I'm blessed. From now on, I'm blessed. Going in, I'm blessed. Going out, praise down, shaking together, running over. I'm the head, not the tail. That's the message we want. But friends, Jesus said, in this world, we will have many troubles. So we're not promising an unbalanced gospel here. But we are saying, God will be with us. Amen. The, uh, God will be with us despite the challenges. And, and, and for me, I said it's, it's been a 30-year journey, right? There's been ups and downs. <laughs> There's been like da 
sounds like can I be dramatic? There's been downs. Right? Like literally, my wife and I lying on the bed like this. And I'm saying to my wife, the only thing we have now is you and me. What are we going to do now? And this is now a man who Understood things. Who has seen God? Who's seen the who's seen the blessing of God in his life? Who's been embarrassingly blessed by God in that situation? It happens. It happened with Isaac. God blessed him, super wealthy, rich. And he's like, God, but you said you would bless me. Everyone is opposing me. I go here, I I, I dig up wells, they come and cause trouble, I move somewhere else. It's like, what is going on here? So friends, when that happens, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. God is with us. Amen? God with us. And, and I want us to, to, to have this biblical understanding that trouble may come. Storms may come. But God is with us. There are two things that have kept me over the years. Two things that have kept me. Because in many ways I could have given up. <laughs> in many ways I could have like said, I'm not doing this anymore. Two things kept me. One, has God spoken and called me? Two, is God still with me? I promise you there are times when it looked like... <laughs> No one else is with me. I'm on my own, yeah? Me, myself, and I. And my family. I felt like Job. Lost everything. I said, please don't be like Job's wife. <laughs> Guess God. And say, Guess God and die. <laughs> just, just us now. So, in that moment, has, what has God said? Visit the prophecies. Visit everything God promised me. Visit everything God has spoken. Friends, those are things that keep you, that will keep you. We are all believers here. God's spoken things over your life. God has said things over your life. Believe them. Visit what God said. I have books and books and books with notes. I've even typed up some of them. To, to remind myself when the going gets tough, what has God said? Because there will come a time, verse 22, he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled with him over there. He named it Rehoboth. Now, saying, now, the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish. Someone say, flourish. We will flourish in the land. God has made room and we will flourish. That's where I want to go. I want us to flourish. So allow me please to take us on a ride for the next 20 minutes. Shall we? What can we do? Isaac sowed, planted crops. What can we do as couples? Number one, are we ready for it? See, ready? Are we ready, friends? Number one, honoring the Lord. What can we do? How can we move forward 
not good for the camera, is it? <laughs> it was a good demo, but it wasn't good for the camera. And yeah, anyway. Honoring the Lord. Honoring the Lord. Honoring the Lord. This is this is foundational. Friends, how we how we handle our money, we must honor God. First, first and foremost. Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his, his and, and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto us. We do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, about your body. For the Lord knows what you need even before you ask. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And all these things, all these things that today you and I, seemingly might be worried about. God says, kingdom of God first. God first. Here's Proverbs. If you're writing down, please write this one down. Proverbs 3 verse 9 and 10. Proverbs 3 verse 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. I mean, the Bible, it's interesting that throughout Scripture, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, God always speaks about an overflow, giving us more. I mean, even uh, people who, who, who say they do not believe in tithing, for example, and argue against the tithe, um, th when you go to the New Testament Scripture that they argue with, in, in Second. Corinthians chapter 9 uh, that talks about God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must decide what he must give, etc., etc. It says, I think it's verse 10, if I'm not mistaken. Let me read it for you. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. <sighs> Consistency of scripture. 9, 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, yeah, verse 10, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower will also, uh, oh, sorry, seed to the sower and bread for food. So Paul here is saying, in what we receive, in what we get, there's always seed and bread. There's always bread and seed. God provides, when God provides for you, he's providing seed and bread. All the time. This is New Testament. Proverbs is, Proverbs is Old Testament. This is New Testament. God provides seed and bread at the same time. Don't miss the revelation. There's always seed and bread. And God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your will also supply and increase, sorry, and increase your store of seed. God, when God increases us, he's in, increasing the store of seed also. Hallelujah. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This is, this is where I was going, verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. On every occasion. And through, your, through us, your generosity 
will result, result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. That sounds too good to be true. <laughs> right? Isn't it? Is it possible though? Like, eh? Can I read it again? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. This is Bible. Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits. Then your buns will be filled with overflowing and your vats or vats will bring brim, oh, so kuwa, will bring over with new wine. So friends, the Bible is always consistent in this matter. Honor the Lord, number one. Amen? Is that settled, Vazalai? Honor the Lord. If we are going to see, create wealth God's way, we must honor God. We should. We must put him first. People say, but I can't afford to give. Well, you can't afford not to. Because this is God's way. God's way. It's not God's way of taking from us. It's God's way of giving to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Number two. So, so here we are talking about, as I've already said in the first session, that's tithing and giving, generosity, all sorts of uh, giving that we see in the Bible. I'm not going to go into detail in that. But when we do that, we honor God. Amen? We honor God. Number two. Honoring our obligations. This, the, remember, we're talking about building wealth. And some of these things you might have heard me talk about in the past when I've been here. right? So, but honor our obligations. We cannot build wealth by being dishonorable. Because there are principles that govern money. We are not of this world, but we are in the world. And in this world, there's an economic system that governs how money flows in this nation. Molefating, there are systems. If we break the rules, how then can we expect to see the blessing of the Lord? Romans 13 verse 7 says, Give to anyone, or rather, give to everyone what you owe them. These are foundational things. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, <laughs> pay taxes. And you and I know, you don't want to be there on the wrong side of the tax man in this country. Right? We know that, don't we? There are people who are famous for not honoring the tax system of this country. So, if you owe taxes, pay them. If you owe revenue, pay it. If it's respect, give it. If it is honor, give it. So, 
honor our obligations. Here we are talking about two things. Number one is that we must pay our bills, not only pay our bills, but we must pay them on time. Hello, church. We must pay our bills on time. You make a commitment, you sign for that car, you sign for that house, you sign for that <laughs> credit card, you sign for that school fees, <laughs> you sign for it. You, you made a commitment, honor the commitment. Because if we don't, the system will work against us. We know that. In the spirit of school fees, they kick the kids out of school. They list you as a bad payer or a slow payer. And if you still ignore their calls, then they blacklist you and you are out of the system. The same system in the world is now working against you. Six months before that, the system was for you. They were phoning you. Mr. Nguenya, you qualify. You are already pre-approved for a loan of 200,000 rands. Which account can we put it in? True story. <laughs> and you're like, yo, yeah. Now, fast track to my next thing that I've, I was saving for, but I can get it today. Right? You sign, you agree, and you can't pay. And the system works against you. And if you don't pay on time, the same people, the same people, friends, that phoned you when you were in your house, minding your own business, watching Netflix, they are the same people that are now coming after you because you did not honor your commitment. So, pay your bills, not only pay them, but on this card. Because the system itself is designed to make you good or bad. It can work for you or against you. It's this system the world system. Unfortunately, we are in the world. We're not of the world, but we are in the world. So, the system can work against us. Uh, number two. What we are talking about here by honoring our commitments, we must. <laughs> Responsible borrowing, yes? Responsible borrowing. You know very well you can't afford an extra 5,000 rands a month. You know that. You know that. <laughs> and you like, by faith. I will afford it. I go to church every Sunday. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. Uh -uh. <laughs> That's not faith. It's called presumption. You are being presumptuous. You, you are being irresponsible. You are making a commitment you cannot keep. You are like that person in the car. How far are you? I'll be there in five minutes. At that time, they're still in the house. They just started the car. They, they are making a commitment they cannot make. We cannot be that reckless when it comes to our future. Our children's future is hanging on the balance, friends. Our own, this could wreck our lives. 
These decisions are the ones that could take us. When the race starts, on your marks, get set, there's the race, you go that way. Because we are making the wrong choices. Making commitments we cannot keep. So, can we do an audit, friends? Fortunately, I did say, this is not disclaimer. This is not financial advice. <laughs> but fortunately, the systems of this world allows you to go and own up. Yes? Say, I've messed up. I overcommitted. I said, I'll pay. I can't. I actually can't. <laughs> what can we do? Yes? The, the first step is, uh, what is the first step of repentance, Vazalwan? Is to admit you are a sinner. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's admit I'm a sinner. I'm, admit I failed. Admit I made the wrong choice. Admit I have made. You, we cannot keep digging ourselves further and further and further into the grave. We must say stop. My wife, we've got to stop. It might mean, uh-oh, here it comes. It might mean you go back to the bank and say, that car must go. That house must go. That furniture must go. No, true story. We, if we are serious, if we are serious, we must repent. Someone say repent. And audit our lives and say, what is it that I need to do to change? Because my future is at stake. The system allows you to do that, to own up. Amen? There is a National Credit Act, right? That protects consumers. That says, you are, this person is over-indebted. They must come back and renegotiate with you, Mr. Creditor. And say, they can afford 5000 They can afford 100 a month. Hello? Hallelujah. Financial gurus. I am not a financial advisor, but I am saying we must admit, we must own up, we must agree that this is my mess and I must fix it. No one's going to fix it. You're not going to fix it with Mashoni Samzalwan. You're not going to fix it with another loan. You're not going to fix it with another credit card. Well, you did not, they did not approve of you buying the car. You made the, the decision. Can I help your spouse? Can I help your spouse? Here it comes. Your spouse has already spoken about you, about this with you. You said, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. I remove him. Oh, no, no. I can't move. We can't, but to what ring? Wait until the sheriff knocks at the door. 
and takes the whole furniture. Now, but they're like, ha, 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 look at them. Boba to Batari. Friends, we must be that serious about it, right? We must be that decisive. This, this might have come. Your, your husband might have said, my wife, we can no longer afford this. Your hus- Did I say my, your wife said my wife? Okay. Your husband, oh, let, me, let, me, let me talk to, let me, let me give the ladies a break a little bit. Your husband, your wife, husband, Mr. Husband, the, 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 the wife has already said, we can't afford this, my love, we can't anymore. For now, we need to Yes? Don't fight them over that. Remember where we started, Bazalwan. What did we say? Unity, right? You, if we're going to fix this, we must do this together. We, one spouse can't go and solve our financial problems. This thing, umunna, apara jacket and that. Where is the unity there? Friends, that is unfair. Ke mosadi le nna ke tshwantse ke tshwane le basadi ba bang le nna nka se ikereke nka mososo one every sunday I'm talking about conversations I've had myself guys I told you I've been there Done that, got the scars. But to battle ring, we are our lives are at stake here. Our future is at stake. Our children's inheritance is at stake here. If we've got to start again, let's start again. Don't be scared of people. <laughs> Pack the car. <laughs> Pack the car. Sell the car. Trust God. Amen. Let's make the right. Let's make the decisions. Let's make. We cannot get out of this situation by. Make it by digging some more sand under us. Friends, when that phone call comes <laughs> and it's written Absa Bank, like ah, you know these people, they're selling me something. Nalayo, it's the creditor that want their money. Answer the phone. Death causes us to be unrighteous. 
and unrighteousness, we are now sinning. We are now liars. We are now cheats. We now profit promising things we don't do. When you answer, you say, oh, no, 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 I'm paying. This Friday, I'm paying. You know very well you can't pay this Friday. What are you going to do now? So friends, own up, amen? Obligations. Do what we need to do. Honor our obligations. It's the first, it's, it's, it's the next step. Honor the Lord, honor our obligations. These are tough things. These are tough things. Because sometimes it might mean for a season, we have to reconsider some of the choices we made about where we live, where our kids go to school. These are tough choices, right? But if we are serious, we must be able to honor our obligations. If we can't, we must admit we can't and we must act in the right way. Here's, here's what I learned. I've learned some of the most powerful money lessons from people that seemingly had <laughs> less than me. I think I've said it here in this church sometime. I don't know when. I went to pray for a lady. She was staying in a small room at the back of someone's house. Driving in there with my car and she was sick. We went to pray, pray for her. And when we finished praying, she was like looking all over the house, looking, what can I give? What can I give? Takes this big tin of re coffee. You know, it's expensive. Yeah? Big tin of re coffee. She's like, Muruti, yeah. I was like, you know that, like, you need it more than me situation. And then I realized that this person understands giving. This person understands I must be a giver. And gave me the tin. And I, I promise you when I went with the tin, I was like praying so hard. God bless her. God, give her ten tins. Give her more tins of Rikov. And I learned the lesson that it doesn't matter how little you have, you can always give. You can always be generous. Whatever you have in your house, give it. So honor your obligation, number three, please, number three. Saving, um, hopefully we'll have a few minutes in the end just to maybe engage a little bit before we, before we leave. Number three, I, I promise that we will we'll dive a little bit deeper into this one. Savings and investments. Savings and investments. Now... Those, those obviously are two different things. It is said that um, you should have an amount that you can easily access that is at least three times your current salary waiting for, you know, for days that when days are dark. Right? Okay. I mean, some of you are doing 
six months, <laughs> ten years, <laughs> whatever your number is that, that, makes, that works for you. But we need to have savings. When the car breaks down, when the tire, you know, <laughs> when the tire, when you have a puncture, like I lost two tires, <laughs> like literally in one day, Just driving and then hit a pothole. Two tires, like, what just happened? When that happens, it's, it's unexpected, right? Where's the money going to come from? It's not going to come from debt, I care. It's going to come from savings. Hallelujah. It's not going to come from a friend. Hey, I'm not going to make a plan. No. It's going to come from savings. So we must have reserves for those days when things go wrong and when things when you you know you want to buy something you want to be a blessing to your wife <laughs> amen it's your anniversary you want to bless your wife you must save so that when that day comes hallelujah wife say amen kalizama <laughs> Right? You want to, you, you save uh, that big screen TV. You don't have to go into debt for that. Hallelujah. You can save. <laughs> and then you can go and buy it. So savings, savings for all sorts of reasons, short to medium term. Save, save, save. Hallelujah. Now investments, it's more about building wealth. It's about building a future. It's about the future. Medium to long term. The book of Proverbs says this. It says, Dishonest money, okay, that's Proverbs 1311, Proverbs 13, verse 11. It says, Dishonest money dwindles away. All these get rich quick schemes and all this, unhelpful. Dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money, listen to this, little by little makes it grow. Whoever gathers money, what? Little by little makes it grow. It is said, the sooner you start to invest, the better off you will be. So, if you consider yourself a, a, young, a young couple like me, married 20 years, I'm still young, amen. I still, <laughs> I still can can build something for the future. Little by little makes it grow. So we must, yes, yes, I did say that this is not financial advice, but this is what I learned. This is what I learned, is that you need to ensure that you put money in assets. You build assets, right? Asset, what is an asset? An asset is something you own. Not Your, your house, if it's still owned by the bank, is not yours. Amen. 
you might have your picture of your wife. It's like, this is come to my house for dinner. Until you've paid it off, it's still a liability to you. It's not an asset. Only once you've, once you own it, on a title deed, then it's yours. It's an asset. Raukran, and we understand that. So, you, you, we need to build assets. Find out <laughs> what, where, what, what works for you. What assets can you build for the future? There are many things. Um, it's things that generally good assets are things that have an appreciation, appreciating value rather than a depreciating value. Ne? Right? So that's, that's, that's good, good assets. Things that, so that's where you invest your money. Don't invest your money in something that's going down. <laughs> you must invest your money. If you're saying, I'm investing, you're, you must be knowing that my money is either going to stay or it's going to grow. Preferably grow, right? Hello? That, that's assets. That's assets. So, I mean, I'm, I'll leave that to your imagination. <laughs> That's assets. Uh, I, I studied the, 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 in, in the kingdom of God, whenever God speaks about wealth, always spoke about lands, properties, livestock, silver and gold. Hello? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Those are assets. Those are assets. Livestock. I get a baby. Solomon was rich. He had like what? He was the richest man. He had livestock, lands, buildings, silver, gold. Yeah? Yes, yes. So, so find out which assets make sense for you as a family to start putting money in that will secure you for the future. That's where you invest. This is the conversation you have with your, your financial advisor or with yourself. Where do I put my money? I want to build assets for the future. What, what makes sense for me? This is our situation now. Which one is the best? Maybe for you, ke go ya ra ke reka di khomo fela mole ko o nne le moraka o reka di khomo tse 5 10 years from now hello o na le di khomo that one ring tse 15 all right you see see as one of us alone this is the wisdom of the scriptures Maybe we're not Already in Or That's your asset, maybe. Maybe for you is to find out how you can invest in gold and silver. Okay. I've given you some ideas. Let's move on. Number four. 
spending wisely. Every husband, nudge your wife. Every wife, nudge your husband. Spending wisely. Hello. And I, I notice what the couple is more because I do it. But I know it's a more than a so that. Who's going to say, walk, walk, walk? Become a smart shopper. I don't mean go and get a pick and pay card. Become a smart shop. It's not a it's not it's not it's not a bargain if you can't afford it, Mzalwa. The red hanger sale 75% off for you. Just pass. Say, oh keep going. You can't afford that. Hello. You have a mission. You are on a mission to build wealth. You are on a mission. You are dedicated. You are committed. You know what you are doing. Spend wisely. Spending wisely. This is what Proverbs 21 verse 5 says. The plans, the plans, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as... Watch this. Haste leads to poverty. How many of you, I'm the first one to lift up my hands, but how many of you can say, I bought something in haste, man, and I don't even know why I bought it. So it's, and now I can't even sell the thing. It's sitting there wasting away, and it's worth thousands of rands. It's like, I know I've done that. I did it in haste. Did it in haste. So haste, the scripture says, Proverbs says, haste leads to poverty. So be a smart shopper. Hallelujah. Think before you buy. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. So let's be diligent. Let's plan, family. Let's plan. This year, what are we doing? What are we buying? What are we getting? What are we, how are we doing this? Let's plan. Lastly, this is, this is very close to my heart, this one. <sighs> Protect ourselves and our dependents. Protect ourselves and our dependents. So here we are talking about things like insurances and life covers and the like. Many of us have, as I said earlier on, we have debts, we have homes that we don't own, cars we don't own, uh, properties, uh, assets that we don't necessarily own yet. But if they are uninsured, they are a danger to our future. If they are uninsured, if anything happens, they become an issue. Insurance, again, short-term insurance in South Africa is one of the most things that goes. When we don't have money, that's the first thing that goes. 
It's like, I'm not paying insurance. It's just money I'm paying every month, every month. Until you have an accident. Car is written off. You still own it. You still owe it. Now, the car is written off. You don't have the car. You have the debt. You need another car. How can you afford it? Load shedding. <laughs> TVs, fridges, all these things, they break. Guess what? You must buy them again. Ne? I get So short-term insurance is one of the things that people don't feel it's a necessity, but actually, it's what do they call it? A grudge purchase. Right? Something you do because you, you should. If you don't, you are putting yourself and your dependents at risk. Let's just assume you own the house. You even have a title deed to the house. But it's not insured. Natural disaster. We are living in those days friends, fire, everything burns down, asset, gone. So we must, this is what the scriptures say, Proverbs 27 verse 12, it says, the prudent, they see danger and they take refuge. <laughs> the prudent, they see, there's danger guys. They, they take refuge. But the simple, this is a nice way <laughs> of, of talking to the other group of people, the simple. They keep going and they suffer for it. So we don't want to have assets that are not protected, that our family, our children, our children's children are going to lose because we were not prudent. Amen? So the prudent. So this talks to now, here, here's, I, I asked this question the last time, and let me ask it again. This time we can all, we are free to lift up our hands here. Who of us here have ever received a call? Your grandfather, your family member, your auntie, your malume, your whoever passed away. Come to this lawyer's office. You have received an inheritance. Let me see your hands. Two people. 0.5%. Friends, friends, friends. Please listen to me very carefully. Please, please, please. We can fix this. Amen? We can fix this. Please. Let's fix this. Don't become... You are gone. And now the family must make a plan. To even just buy you a casket. You have become a liability even in your death. Oh my God. We suffered while you are still alive. You're gone. We're suffering more. Yo, 
oh guys, please, please, please. Please. Paul says, I beg you by the mercies of God. <laughs> can, we, can we make sure that your, your spouse, your children do not have to suffer when you are gone? Please fix this if you don't have, if you haven't yet. As a lonely life cover, does, it costs less than funeral cover. Did you know that? It depends anyway how much. In fact, the reason I say that is you, you can pay funeral cover for 250 a month. Funeral cover at 20,000. People are more concerned about the Tlawale casket. Le grocery, le airtime. To phone people and make sure they come to the barrier. For the 250, you could make sure your family has money when you are gone. Hello. This was for free. I do not work for any financial services provider. <laughs> Many of them won't like what I'm telling you even. Especially those who sell funeral covers. Because for the same money, in fact, here's, here's what even blows my mind. For the same money, you get, for example, for 250 you could, for example, get 1 million rent life cover and... 50,000 rands for your funeral when you die within 48 hours. Many of us don't even know that. So you actually don't really, really like have to, have to. Have like funeral cover, that grocery, <laughs> funeral cover, tente, funeral. These are all. Money-making schemes, Bazalwan, I have to tell you. Yes? Can we go and sort it out, please? Let me close with this verse and we can talk if we have anything. I think we're out of time. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man and woman according to the J.J. Nguenya International Translation. A good man and woman lives an inheritance for their children's children. This is my scripture for that. <laughs> this is my scripture for that. If, if we at least could not, I mean, it's, it's, if we at least could not save enough, we should at least make sure that Basalaka something. Amen. Right? So please, shall we do that? I, wanna, I wanted to say something, and I see I missed it in my notes. I did do, say it in a disclaimer when I started. I, I was not, the plan was not to tell you how you as a family must run your money. Because 
Every family has got its own way. Sometimes the husband is good with money than the wife. Sometimes the wife is good with money than the husband. Sometimes both parties are working and there's joint income. Some couples believe we must have one account, <laughs> a joint account where everything comes from. Some accounts say, mm -mm, you have, keep your own account, I keep my own account, but these are the responsibilities within the family. This is how you pay that, I pay that, you do that, I do that, and, and this is what we do with what's left of it. So there are multiple ways. The point I said in the beginning was there must be unity. It mustn't be like, ah, Mosadi Abone pay sleep. Uh oh. If that's what you choose, then there must be unity about it. I care. It mustn't be that Mosadi is not happy about it. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Yay. See as one of us alone. There must still be unity. There must still be agreement. If the husband says, don't worry, what you earn is yours. That's by agreement. That's fine. <laughs> Some wives are very happy about that declaration. In fact, I could have, listen, I could have, when I was coming here, I, I thought, maybe I should just cut the whole thing very short. Just come here and say, husbands, here's your solution to all your problems in your marriage. Give your wives money. Sorted. Let's all go home. <laughs> all the wives say, Amen. Ha, ha, ha.